This episode is brought to you by Progressive Insurance. Whether you love true crime or comedy, celebrity interviews or news, you call the shots on what's in your podcast queue. And guess what? Now you can call them on your auto insurance too with the Name Your Price tool from Progressive. It works just the way it sounds. You tell Progressive how much you want to pay for car insurance, and they'll show you coverage options that fit your budget. Get your quote today at Progressive.com to join the over 28 million drivers who trust Progressive. Progressive Casualty Insurance Company and Affiliates. Price and coverage match limited by state law. The Rays Radio Network proudly presents This Week in Rays Baseball. Here's your host, Neil Solons. Hi, everybody, and welcome to our latest podcast. I hope you enjoyed the win in the wild card series. I hope you're really excited, and I think you should be, about the ALDS coming up against the Yankees. It should be uh, probably the playoff series that everybody is uh, excited about uh, based on the rivalry and from a race standpoint, obviously, what they did against New York during the regular season. Now, we figured as we're in between series, it's a good time to create some content for you and give you a chance to kind of get a feel for these two teams and the mindsets. Um, so on the podcast today, in a minute, you're going to hear from Kyle Snyder, the Rays pitching coach. Uh, but I also chatted with Kevin Eibach, who heads up pro scouting about some of the things they've done behind the scenes that helped the Rays get ready for Toronto and also how they prepare for the New York Yankees, teams they've seen already. Uh, we'll hear from Mark Topkin of the Tampa Bay Times, get his take on what the keys are in this series from a Rays perspective, and then we'll go on the other side, and Eric Boland of Newsday will be with us to talk about things from a New York perspective. But we start with Kyle Snyder. Obviously, the Rays pitched extremely well against Toronto, allowing just three total runs in the two games, and I asked Kyle how proud he was of what the pitching staff did in the wild card series. Just, I mean, really meaningful. Um, I, I think those two games are almost kind of a culmination of, you know, uh, a lot of, you know, what we've overcome, you know, attesting to our leadership, you know, just as a whole and, and just how well these players have played and played together. You know, um, pitching staff's done, you know, a wonderful job, you know, competing in the zone you know, execute once we get the two strikes. And, you know, that was certainly on display in those two games against Toronto. But I'm proud of these guys all the time, Neil, you know, and it's just, it's nice to see how, how much they grow through the course of even a, an abbreviated season, such as the, you know, the regular season that we just, that we just wrapped up. But, you know, to carry that into the postseason um, in, in a tough three-game series where anything can happen, um, and to go out and perform the way they did was uh, certainly made Stan and myself very proud. Obviously, Blake Snell set a tone. Was that his best start of the season, or were there areas where maybe that he did certain things at his best in your mind? I think I you know it was certainly his best start of the season. Um, you know, I think a, a lot of you know with what Blake went through last year, first surgery. Um, coming out of that, never really being able to get back to full strength, given the timing of when the surgery took place and the rehab that was associated with that. Um, you know, we had talked prior to the start of this season, even regular spring training before we hit the pause button, you know, there were some, some workload concerns, you know, we wanted to get his feet underneath him, um, largely utilized the shorter you know, regular season to do that. And it really all came together for him and that, that, that start the other day against Toronto certainly his best start of the season and, and, and really showed for me a uh, very similar form to the second half of 2018. You know, there's no question. Which is certainly encouraging going into the Yankees series. Before we get to them and some of the challenges that they pose for the group, 
how do you keep guys sharp? Because you have four off days between the two series. And you did have a handful of guys who didn't even pitch in that short series against Toronto. The difference between keeping them sharp and getting them too much rest or overworking them. That's a good, that's a great question. You know, just given the oddness to the way the format's set up with the days off happening between each series and the series themselves being, you know, consecutive once the, you know, the series begins and the DS and the championship series. But so we've got the next few days, um, you know, we've got some inter-squad games lined up and uh, there's going to be some hitters that are going to be able to get some at-bats as well. Um, so I think it's going to help out both sides. Uh, you know, some of the shorter relievers I'll probably give the option to, to whether or not they want to just throw a side or two between now and um, next, next Monday or, you know, if they would like to see some hitters in somewhat of a controlled environment. But, you know, we're keeping Honeywell going. You know, there's going to be probably six innings tomorrow, four and a half innings on Saturday, and probably two innings on Sunday, you know, just to, to keep these guys sharp and uh, keep them prepared and, and, and certainly ready them for uh, this big series coming up. There's a possibility that you guys could have five straight games of days, the way this all lines up with the DS. You haven't used anyone three days in a row this year. How possible is it, or how many guys on your roster could you see you using three days in a row in a divisional series? Another good question. Comfortably five or six. Yeah, I mean, Aaron Lou, Brian Thompson, Pete Fairbanks, Diego Castillo, Nick Anderson. I, I mean, even though they haven't checked that box, and, and normally we would, you know, we would do this and so for a typical spring training, you know, I think in a normal April, first month of the season, these guys probably would be prepared uh, to, to go three times um, consecutively. Uh, part of the reason that hasn't, we haven't done that is we were trying to give ourselves the best opportunity to be at full strength. And the argument, you know, could be looked at either direction in terms of, you know, is it important? Should we condition them for what we're going to ask them to do? Or should we just go in making sure that these guys are at full strength? And, you know, um, and I, that, that was kind of standing and, and, and my lean in terms of just what we needed to do and talking with Cashy um, about just the preparedness of those guys. Um, we will have no reservations at all um, with these series being in consecutive days, um, you know, pitching a handful of those guys uh, three games in a row. For playing five games um, potentially in a row, how many more pitchers do you think you're going to need? You guys carried only 13 for this series. Do you need 14 or even 15, do you think, against a team like the Yankees? That's a good question. I, I would probably say there's a chance that we stay around the number that, you know, 13, 14, I, I, 15 seems unlikely to me, but again, I mean, as a group, we haven't discussed that. Uh, but I will say that, you know, uh, 14 probably sounds about right. How, um, how difficult is the Yankee lineup and what did you learn from them in the 10 games of the regular season that can help you in the postseason? Um, I mean, they're, they're a formidable, you know, you know, offense. There's no question about that. You know, I mean, it's uh, top to bottom, um, you know, probably have more guys in the lineup that can do damage than any other offense in the game. As far as what we learned um, is that we can compete against them. You know, I know we saw varying degrees of their lineup based on injuries throughout the course of the year. We did match up against them in the regular season. Um, they got Judge back. They got Stanton back. Two guys that we're very familiar with over the last couple of years. And I think some of that familiarity is going to help us with our preparedness in terms of the approach and, and going into the series. But, um, you know, you make mistakes against these guys, they're certainly going to make you pay. Um, and they can make you pay quick. 
you know, but we're going to have to continue to stick to our strengths, control the count, you know, um, and, and let our stuff play, you know, chase commitments early on. You know, I think there's some early outs to be had, but really focus on, you know, getting guys down in the count, keeping them on their heels and making sure we're executing once we get, you know, control of the count. What's more important, keeping the ball in the ballpark or limiting the walks? I think the Indians didn't do either. I think they gave up almost 20 walks in the two games they played against. Limiting the walks, you know, I, I think at the end of the day, you know, I mean, we, we've given up, you know, a fair number of solo home runs this year. Uh, you know, but it, it has an impact at our ability to win series. And I, I think even with, you know, the, you know, the potent bats that the Yankees bring to the table, um, you know, a lot of our success uh, is really, uh, really hinges on just our ability to control the count and, and, and really limit the free passes, force these guys to earn their way on base, uh, trust our stuff, trust our ability and just let it, you know, just go display it. And that's, that's more or less, you know, the message that's been fairly consistent over the last few years um, and is consistent and is a one size fits all in terms of the importance of being successful as a pitcher, you know, and, and that's, you know, throwing strikes. It's, it's, it's very critical to, to success and maintaining your unpredictability. A lot would say that it's important too to pitch inside. I know they've bristled at the fact that the race have pitched inside at, at, at times, but how important is that, whether it's against the Yankees or anyone, to be able to use both sides of the plate? It's, it's an approach we have against anybody, you know, and, and some of it's, you know, based on our, you know, relative strengths, you know. I mean, we're all, you know, all these guys are different. We got, you know, obviously a lot of unique looks. You know, we got, you know, guys that can cut the ball in the righties. We got right-handers that can sink the ball in the righties. You know, we got lefties that can sink the ball in the lefties. We got righties that can cut the ball. In the, it's just, it's certainly just part of, you know, who these guys are, who these guys are individually, what they're becoming, what they're, you know, what their skill sets consist of. Um, but pitching inside will always be part of, you know, uh, our approach. And certainly fans always want to know the rotation. The Yankees, no surprise, have already announced Garrett Cole as your number one. Sure. Have you decided on a game one starter to this point? Obviously, Charlie Morton didn't pitch in the first series because you won in two and was slated for game three. What goes into the thought process of who eventually gets game one? Um, I mean, there's a number of different variables that go into play. We're still discussing it as a group. You know, I imagine we'll probably come to a decision here in the next 24 hours or so. But, you know, who would be available on short rest? You know, who would potentially be available to pitch an inning on their side day? Um, being that it is five games in five days, who starts game one? If they're going to be a game, available game five, it's going to have to come on three days rest. You know, those are all factors that we have to take into account. And uh, other than that, you know, I, you know, from a matchup standpoint, you know, I don't think there's anything specific that, um, that that we're looking at. I mean, I think we it's a talented group no matter how you look at it. I'm sure that decision is going to be made here relatively shortly so we can, you know, we can uh, issue the proper guidance to those guys and get them prepared for the days they're going to pitch. Kyle, we appreciate a few minutes. Best of luck in the series against New York, and uh, hopefully San Diego is your home for a little bit here. <laughs> no, I appreciate it, Neil. Thanks a lot. It's always fun to be on. Well, we certainly appreciate the time of one Kyle Snyder, the race pitching coach, for touching base with us on this podcast, now joining us a guy who oversees the pro scouting area, and that's Kevin Eibach. Kevin, thanks very much for a few minutes. Thanks for having me on, Neil. I appreciate it. Tell me, um, you guys are going to face back-to-back opponents that you've already seen. It's the only team in the playoffs that have done that. How much does that help in terms of the preparation and what you guys do on your side of things? Yeah, Neil, I think that's a really great point. Um, you know, Very unique to the first round that we faced the Blue Jays and had some familiarity um, with them, albeit – 
you know, after the trade deadline, they had made some acquisitions. Their roster had changed a little bit from the last time that we had played them. So there was still a fair amount of background work, um, if nothing else, to catch up on those new players. Um, but the staff familiarity um, from the coaching staff, Kevin Cash and his group, um, along with our pro scouts that have been following them all year, um, was certainly advantageous to have a little bit more background on those guys. The Yankees will present a, a similar opportunity. They have less new faces on their roster, so we should we should have a pretty good feel for their lineup and their and how their bullpen's going to shake out. So there's always there's always deeper dives to be had. There's always some things to uncover, um, given you have a little bit of extra time to do it. Um, but but definitely happy that we are in a position to play somebody that that we have some familiarity with in the regular season. Tell me how the familiarity helped uh, against the Blue Jays, if at all. Yeah, I think it did. So we set out this year, obviously we've spoken about this before, um, but had a very unique season um, where we were not allowed in ballparks uh, across the country. Uh, There was no minor league season to be had. So a lot of the work that we would normally do you know, from the get-go was not being done this year. Um, while we did focus a lot of attention on the trade deadline and various video projects to assist with that, uh, it actually opened up an area to continue to evolve our advanced process and, and get a lot of footage on teams um, specific to the American League East and the National League East, the teams that we were actually going to play. Um, so a lot of our scouts were dedicated um, to cover these teams from day one of the regular season. So Certainly, um, you know, Kevin Cash and his group were very familiar with uh, just being across the field from from the other team with the Blue Jays or even the Yankees. Um, But even from a scouting standpoint, we had been watching both of those teams from day one of the regular season. Um, And that's not always possible in a normal year. In a normal year when you're advancing, sometimes that only happens leading right up to the playoffs or you're so spread thin across the entire American league and whatever interleague series you have that you just can't focus the bandwidth like we did this year uh, on teams like Toronto and, and New York. So one thing that stood out to me in hearing some of the Blue Jays players like Kevin Biggio and Bo Bichette is they did some things against us the last two days that they didn't do against us in the regular season. Is that Kyle Snyder, Stan Borowski, and the staff? Or how much of that is input that you guys are providing and noticing because you do have the chance to watch the team every day? Yeah, I mean, I think baseball is a game of adjustments. And when you see an opponent as many times as you do, it ultimately comes down to the players to make those adjustments um, with help from the coaching staff. So I would always defer to our group that's in uniform to really lead the charge in making adjustments to help us prepare for an opponent. Um, but certainly our scouts, um, just digging up some of the information that we've had on them and some of the things that we did differently. Our personnel certainly changed a lot from from last year, and we even made a few um, you know additions throughout the season um, through injury or through through trade. Um, so our personnel is a little bit different as well. Um, but it was just really a focus on on a few key takeaways uh, from the Toronto group specifically that that helped us prepare. Um, no, nothing that you wouldn't you wouldn't be able to guess, but a lot of things that were able to help us prepare and focus on specific areas because the advanced process in general can be very daunting. The amount of research that goes into it, um, you know, from our R and D department, the live eyes that we have from from our scouts, um, but trying to focus that down and say here's here's three to five areas we really need to focus on leading into this series. It's much easier for a player to digest that and, and implement that. Um, if you make it simple for them. 
Who was who was the guy, or did you have multiple people who watched the Blue Jays once you knew that you know both the Rays and Toronto were likely to end up in the postseason? That you maybe want to pass along some kudos for the work that that individual did. Sure, we we worked in advanced teams for all of the teams in the playoffs, and some teams, uh, some players have been, or some scouts rather, have been spread thin across multiple areas. But the two the two scouts, uh, two of our pro personnel specialists um, that really led the charge on this one. Um, were Mike Brown and Jason Gray, both who live out in Arizona. Um, so they were obviously doing this all via video, but both of those gentlemen were were part of our process last year for the playoffs. So obviously they had some familiarity in what our coaching staff would want. And, um, you know, again, I, I've made references before. Sometimes when you make a trade and you learn, learn a team system, um, it helps you in a trade down the line. Well, certainly advancing for the playoffs last year, with Oakland and, you know, in Houston, I think just going through that process and becoming familiar with the personnel and our, you know, what our coaches are desiring, what our players are desiring, I think went a long way to making this pretty seamless this year. So, so Brownie and Gray were the two guys that um, really took the lead on that. We had some assistants, um, Tyler Chamberlain, Simon in the office, um, who's kind of like our utility infielder, Jack of all trades. Hmm. He, uh, he helps out with a lot of things on the front office front, but he also gets after it and goes out and scouts. Um, Tyler did a wonderful job kind of being that third person to tie everything together. He has a really good feel for tying the data and the and the live video looks together um, in a way that makes it easy to digest. So those, those three individuals were really the lead on this. And you guys have mentioned, we, we've talked about New York and the fact that you also have seen them 10 times. And Garrett Cole and Masiro Tanaka, guys, you've seen a lot of, haven't seen Jay Happ, haven't seen Davey Garcia. How much does the pro scouting aspect of this help in that regard? Yeah, you know, I think, you know, one of the things with some of the younger guys, you know, certainly a Davey Garcia would fall into that mix. But having history through the minor leagues um, with these players, um, even on the backfields in spring training, you know, the Yankees have a really good system, um, very deep system um, throughout the last several years where we've spent a lot of times, even though we historically don't line up with them on trades, um, there's certainly enough players in that system that warrant the extra attention. Um, so seeing a Davy Garcia, I remember seeing him myself in Port Charlotte against the Stone Crabs, standing over the bullpen in the left field, watching him warm up like it was yesterday. So just having that familiarity and seeing how a player evolves, uh, both physically and mentally with his approach, I think is a really unique foundation that a scout can provide versus the old mantra of what has he done for me lately. Certainly trends are very important in advanced scouting, but also having that that relationship, um, you know, with the last series as well, like an Alejandro Kirk who had not played at the upper levels of the minors. I saw him <laughs> hit, uh, hit a home run over the batter's eye against us in Princeton in the playoffs a couple years ago. So, again, that familiarity comes into to play. It helps us ask the right questions that we can dive deeper on at this stage of their career. Um, but certainly doing that and having the opportunity to to look back and see what these guys have done um, deeper into an organization beyond the the Coles and the Tanakas, the guys that we've faced a lot, is, is certainly helpful. And what do you miss? What are some of the things that you could – how much does it help you, let's say, to be able to do this over video? What are things maybe you couldn't pick up in person? And what are some, th- some things that you don't get in person from – uh, from doing this? Sure. As, I, as I've mentioned a lot um, on these podcasts, I think you can never replace the human element in the ballpark. You know, we 
we all have necks for a reason so we can decide what we want to look uh, at on the field and we're not at the mercy of a camera angle. Although I will say this, it was much more difficult video scouting for the trade deadline than it has been on the advanced side. Um, the amount of cameras that we have access to in major league ballparks, the amount of angles, it, you're not at mercy of just the broadcast feed um, or mm-hmm. one stationary camera <clears throat> has actually made it fairly, fairly easy to fill in a lot of the blanks. You're able to, to get angles and views across the field to see what's happening off the ball. And I think one of the biggest things with advanced scouting is, is following what's going on off the ball. Um, the viewer at home, you know, again, is at the mercy of those camera edits, and that's going to follow the action on the play. But there's, you know, seven to eight other players on the field that are not in camera view that are doing something that we may be able to take advantage of. And that's where having multiple camera angles um, not focused on the ball comes in to help. So I, I really believe that the amount of technology invested into the major league level um, has made that a little bit easier to do only on video. But some of it's out there in early work and in areas we don't have access to. So um, early work, batting practice, um, just watching some things that you would normally watch when you're in the ballpark long before first pitch um, is something we're never going to be able to replicate via video. Um, so that's certainly a little bit more difficult. And then we, ha- we do have some alternate site video um, that Major League Baseball uh, sent out to all the clubs and there was a sharing network. and you know, seeing some of the some of the things that happen at the alternate site has been beneficial. But again, that even more so is at the mercy of what kind of video is provided. And they're not all created equal. Well said, Kevin, we appreciate some time on the podcast. We wish you a lot of luck and hopefully uh, the work that you guys have done in preparation for the Yankees leads to success. Thanks, Neil. Looking forward to going out to San Diego. Well, good stuff from Kevin Ibach on the uh, pro scouting side. Now joining us is uh, one more Topkin of the Tampa Bay Times. He will be in San Diego uh, like the rest of the Rays and, and Topper, as, as you get ready to cover this series, what are the things that you're most looking forward to about Rays-Yankees round four, I guess? Well, you know, a couple things. I mean, I think, first of all, there's a natural curiosity on where the emotions are going to be, where the tempers are going to be, what's going to happen the first time a pitch uh, from whomever and to whomever uh, runs inside on a hitter. You know, are both dugouts going to start chirping? Are we going to see everybody on the top step? Or is there going to be kind of an understanding uh, amongst both teams, not necessarily with each other, but at least amongst each team? Like, hey, don't do anything foolish here. And how are the umpires going to react? I mean, we've seen some times where, you know, what happens in the past gets in the umpires' heads too, and they'll see a pitch inside. I and mean, what if, you know, hypothetically, Blake Snell starts the opener and runs a pitch inside on the second or third batter? Does he get thrown out of the game? I mean, things like that, you know, you have to wonder – how everyone's going to react. But that's one thing. I think another thing is, you know, and this is probably a little baseball nerdy, but, you know, how are the Rays going to set up the roster? How are they going to set up uh, the rotation, playing the potential to play five days in a row? As Brandon Lau, always the optimist, pointed out uh, when I talked to him the other day, he said, maybe we only play three days in a row. And I was like, all right, yeah, that's possible too, but you have to plan for five. So, that's part of it. And then I think, you know, the other factor is, yes, the Rays did beat up on the Yankees this year. They won the season series 8-2, to two, period, fact, absolutely. But that Yankee team that they beat up on, at least the, the second two of the three series, was not the same Yankees team that will be out there uh, this week. And, you know, Giancarlo Stanton is back, Aaron Judge is back, DJ LeMayu is healthy, Zach Britton's healthy. I mean, there's a, some guys that were missing at various times that the Rays played 
the Yankees this year or weren't on their game. And certainly the numbers that the Yankees put up against the Indians, uh, historic in the context of for a team's first two postseason games, which isn't that big of a context, but still noteworthy nonetheless, is impressive. And obviously from the Rays pitching staff, as good as it is, as much depth as it has, as good as Blake Snell looked in his first playoff game, as good as Tyler Glasnow has looked down the stretch, you know, I think we all know that, you know, both he and Glass now and Charlie Morton haven't had their best overall seasons this year and could be prone to some inconsistency. And this is a very dangerous Yankee lineup at the moment. There's no question about that. Uh, on the flip side of that, Mark, is the fact that every series the Rays played against the Yankees, they set it up so Colton Aka pitched the first two games of the series. The Rays were never in a position where they actually could give Snell, Glass, now Morton ample rest to pitch in a series against the Yankees. Yeah, and again, this should be an opportunity. That's why I said earlier to see how the Rays set this up will be curious because do you go with the three those three guys to start, figuring you have Ryan Yarbrough if there's a fourth game and then probably an all-hands-on-deck approach in the fifth game, but yet you know, I don't think Morton would be a guy you'd bring back. So does that affect who you start with? Do you start with Sneller Glass now so that they're available on short rest for that game five if you need them? But then... Yankees are very right-handed, as good as Snell looked the other day. Do you want to start a lefty and you know run the chance that the Yankees you know start uh, start off with a big offensive game? So, like I said, there's a lot that's going to go into how this gets set up uh, that intrigues me. But I, I do think the overall depth of the Rays pitching staff, and, and I anticipate that staff will grow to 14 or possibly even 15 spots on that 28-man roster. Uh, for this series, I think the overall depth of the Rays pitching staff is definitely better than the overall depth of the Yankees pitching staff, even though Cole certainly stands uh, out and Tanaka at times stands out and Chapman and Britton stand out as, as very good weapons for the Yankees. And, you know, what's curious is you mentioned them being heavily right-handed, and I think we all know that, but they actually hit about 100 points or so lower OPS-wise in the regular season against lefties than righties. Um, and I'm curious if that impacts how the Rays go with their approach in this. Yeah, and, and how much of that, you know, is due to how much time Stanton and Judge missed, though, also, and, and the mm-hmm. times when they did play and they weren't healthy. So that, that's one of those where, uh, Neil, and you're closer to those guys than I am, but some of those really smart people over at the One Ray Place there at Tropicana Field who run these numbers and then tell you what the numbers say and then what's inside those numbers and then what's inside those numbers, we'll, we'll figure that stuff out. But I think as we look at it, you know, on the base – you would think that the right-handed hitters of the Yankees would be more potent weapons against the left-handed pitchers of the Rays. And as the Rays build their uh, staff for this series, would they go more heavily right-handed? And and conversely, you know, do the Rays want to make sure there's a right-handed bat on the bench, you know, besides whomever they start in the lineup because they know that Britton and Chapman are going to be coming in at the end of the games? Certainly a really valid point there. How does – playing in San Diego factor in all of this too, because it's a, other than for Manuel Margot and Hunter Renfro, this is a park that these guys on both teams don't have a lot of uh, familiarity with. Yeah. It's a weird element to this. There's no doubt about it. I I think there is some advantage for the Rays in having two guys who played there recently. I talking to Hunter Renfro about it the other day. He actually mentioned something I didn't know anything about is a new building was built just behind the the first base side there. And he said there's some discussion among the Padres that it's impacting the wind a little bit. I know the the numbers from this season, which are clearly short uh, sample numbers, are that it's playing short for right-handed hitters and playing long for left-handed hitters. In other words, short to left field where that uh, building is. It's a very cool feature when you watch the games on TV. People will notice that if you hadn't seen it before. 
-hmm. great feature of that ballpark. But uh, or is is that because that's how the park's playing, or is that because Tatis and Machado are hitting <laughs> so many home runs? I mean, you know, they, seriously, it's only been you know they've had thirty games there and a couple playoff games, so you know you have to wonder what the stats are actually telling you. So I do think that's a factor. The fact that neither team is more comfortable with it probably negates it to a degree. And they're also going to be playing. Uh, we assume we haven't seen the game times as we record this yet, but we assume they're going to be playing prime time or so on the East coast. So four o'clock, five o'clock starts out there. You start getting some funky shadows. Uh, you start getting some weird things going on there too. So it's really kind of three things for the Rays to, as they go into this, Neil. is It's a different Yankees team uh, than uh, certainly than the Blue Jays, but also a different Yankees team than they've seen all year. So how they set up their roster for the opponent, how they set up uh, their roster, and how they play this out for the schedule with the potential to play five days in a row. And as you just mentioned, how they do this and how they deal with the venue and whether that impacts who's on their roster or, or how the bench is built. And certainly health plays a big factor, too. And I don't know if you were, Mark, but I was a little surprised to hear Eric Neander tell us in his Zoom call that there was at least a possibility of Austin Meadows being ready for the series against the Yankees. I definitely was surprised, Neil. I, I'd heard a little chatter about it and, and you know, wanted to get it clarified. I'm a little surprised. And even if Austin Meadows is doing uh, better, and I think the phrase that Eric Neander used was, you know, he's making, uh, he's doing better, he's doing well in his progression. It still seems a little surprising to me if they would gamble on that spot in the roster because, uh, as I first of all, as I mentioned, you know the Yankees are right hand uh, left handed in the bullpen. So let's you know Austin, if you have him on there, I assume you're going to get him in, in in the lineup. He hasn't played in a while, and to be very fair, for a number of reasons, he wasn't playing very well this year. I mean, he certainly wasn't the Austin Meadows of last year. So I, I think the Rays would have to have a couple concerns. There is you know. Can they definitely count on him to be uh, available, you know, for all the games, for whatever they need, even if that's coming off the bench, which for a guy who's not going to have a chance to get loose as much as normal could be an issue. And, you know, which Austin Meadows are they going to get here? So I think there's a couple of factors they're going to have to really think through. And look, they're going to be cutting the position players down one or two from the roster that they had for the division uh, for the wildcard series. So there's going to be even less spots there. So if you're already going to take, let's say, two guys off, now you have to take a third guy off to add Austin Meadows. It's an excellent point, and I think probably one of the guys who just came off the injured list is pretty critical in this series alone, and I'm talking about Jimon Choi because he has owned Garrett Cole in the regular season. One would expect Cole would pitch one, and if it goes that far, game five. Yeah, I, I think G-Man could be, you know, if, uh, if you were going to, like, say who could be the key guy, the X factor, that kind of thing, I think G-Man is definitely a person for that uh, category in that, you know, he has hit Cole well, and he adds an energy to the Rays lineup. I'm not saying that that's why they haven't scored as many runs recently, and certainly Yandy Diaz being out was part of that too. But there is something when G-Man's in the lineup that does seem to add a little bit of energy to it when he's on the field as well. So uh, Nate Lowe did not look very good in his one postseason game that he played in the opener. And I would think, you know, a fully healthy G-Man will, will be the first would be the first baseman for the Rays and, and be a bat in the middle of that lineup. And Certainly a weapon for them against those right-handed Yankee starters. Who do you think the Rays may add? Let's say Meadows doesn't get added. If they add a pitcher, is it Josh Fleming for length? Um, who, who do you think would be the arm that they may add if they go 14 pitchers or more? Yeah, Josh Fleming would be the obvious guy because obviously he did really well as a rookie. He was 5-0. and He stepped right in. Uh, he started, uh, what, all but one or two of those games. So he does have at least some familiarity coming off. Uh, coming into the game out of the bullpen. But I also wonder if Trevor Richards is in play here because he's a right-hander. 
And if you needed a guy to give you a couple innings, two, three innings in a game with knowing that the Yankees are so right-handed, I think he'll be in the conversation as well. Uh, and then you just wonder how that bullpen's going to be set up. I mean, we made a lot out of Shane McClanahan getting added, uh, the left-handed guy who hasn't pitched in the big leagues yet. One of their promising prospects was on the roster for the wild card series. He didn't get in. Uh, is he still a weapon they want to you know, have out there to help them uh, or do, at this level and knowing that you have the right-handed hitters? Uh, do you want to go a little bit the other direction? So I think there's a couple guys they can consider. Uh, and just for the people that aren't as familiar with how this works and don't have something else to do in their lives besides you and I and are constantly mm. reading the rules, Neil, I mean, they have the 40 players in their pool. They can pick a fresh 28 for each round. If someone uh, gets hurt during the series, you can replace them, but then they have to be out for the next round too. So that's another you know, thing that you look at with your Yandi and G-Man and even more so with Austin Meadows. If you do bring them back and something goes wrong, you lose the ability to you know, have them in the next round too. So a couple of factors to consider there, but you know, the Rays do have a couple of pitchers uh, in that pool that you know, they can pick from to add to this roster. And the last piece of this that I think is interesting, let's assume, I know Brandon Lau was being optimistic and saying, hey, what if it only goes three or it's shorter? But if this goes five, does that help the Rays? And what I mean by that is the Yankees have had a a number of guys who have a history of injury, and they play that same lineup. Can Judge, Stanton, Torres, guys who have been banged up all year, play five straight days and play effectively? I think you should ask that question of Susan Waldman. I'd love to hear her answer to that, (laughs) uh, our friend who's the uh, very, very good and very famous Yankees radio broadcast. I think she'd raise her voice in answering that for you, but – I mean, that's a fair question, Neil. I mean, I, I don't think playing five days in a row should challenge those guys necessarily. But, you know, in a high-stress environment like this and in, in a high uh, level of competition environment like this, sure, I think that's a, a question uh, that the Yankees are going to have to wrestle with. If one of the games gets out of hand early, either way, you know, pro or con for the Yankees, maybe you see them get those guys off their feet a little bit. I mean, obviously, if uh, Stanton DH's judge is going to be out there in the field the whole time, and, and there can be a fair amount of ground to cover out there. So, Another factor as well, and, you know, injuries are always an issue in these type of short series. But, I, you know, again, the overall depth of the Rays is definitely to their advantage, uh, whereas the Yankees may have a couple of the marquee guys and more of the high-impact type players. You know, that's always been the Rays' approach, do it as a team. And, and I think that should serve them well in this situation. Mark, good stuff. Safe trip out to San Diego. And uh, we hopefully will be talking to you before the ALCS. Only one day off, and then we can talk about the impact of playing seven days in a row. Well, we certainly appreciate Mark Topkin of the Tampa Bay Times joining us as he is going to be on his way to San Diego for the ALDS. And joining us now, we get the other perspective from the Yankee side of things from Newsday, is Eric Boland. Eric, thanks very much for a few minutes. You're quite welcome, Neil. Good to talk to you again. From the outside looking in, it appears the Yankees are in their best position in terms of health. How do you see that, and how does it factor into the series? Yeah, Neil, I mean, there's, there's no question. Um, and look, I mean, we'll take a step back and say injuries are never an excuse. We, we've heard that cliche. I know you, you've been covering sports a long time. I've been covering a sports a long time. Every fan is aware of that. Um, but in reality, uh, in a lot of cases, injuries are the ultimate excuse. Uh, and you can't tell me a Yankees lineup that has a healthy Aaron Judge, Giancarlo Stanton, DJ LeMahieu, Blaber Torres uh, is not superior than a lineup that doesn't have those players. Um, and so they are offensively, I hate the cliche, but I'll use it, firing on, on all cylinders. Uh, they weren't 
down the stretch of the regular season, losing six of eight, but they certainly were in the two-game uh, wildcard sweep of the uh, of the Cleveland Indians. Um, but yeah, they, they feel like they are at uh, full strength uh, at, at the time that it, that it matters most. Uh, but let me throw in the, the caveat because I know any Rays fan listening to me is going to say, "Hey, wait a minute! Don't tell me about the injuries that the Yankees had when uh, when, when we lost the equivalent of about ten pitching staffs this season." Uh, and you're absolutely right. And any any uh, Rays fan saying that. Uh, would be 100% uh, correct. So, um, you know, th- this is just the way these things work out sometimes. But uh, the long meandering answer to your question is that, uh, you know, yes, the Yankees are, are you know, as close to 100% as, as any baseball team can be. Uh, and, and they feel as good about themselves as, as they have in all of 2020. And, and I think this is the matchup that, that they wanted, uh, whether it be in the first round, second round, or ALCS. Yeah, I think we all expected that at some point these two teams were going to face off. What I'm curious about is, in all the series the race played against the Yankees in the regular season, while the lineup wasn't at full strength, they threw Cole Tanaka games one and two of every series. The Rays never got to set up their rotation, and now you're going to see Snell, Glasnow, and Morton. How big a challenge is that for the Yankee lineup? I mean, it's, it's certainly a... You know, it's a huge challenge, and and we know what all of those guys have done at various points in their careers, and each has had some some good moments against the Yankees, and then moments where the Yankees have hit them around a little bit. So, um, you know, I I really think, and and again, you you've covered you know these these five game series before. Um, I'm not going to say that the game one is a must win because everybody always says that. And then whoever loses game one says, well, it's really not a must win until you're it's, it's loser and go home. Um, but I, I really think if the Rays beat the Yankees and Cole in game one, uh, it, it really sets them up uh, in, a, in a tremendous uh, advantage for the rest of, the, of what's an even shorter series, certainly. And, and I'm quite certain that the Yankees feel the same way, uh, even though the Rays trot out one great arm after another uh the yankees feel you know if, if they get one with cole right off the bat uh that that sets them up uh the rest of the way so you know i, I again I, I hate to bang the cliche gong on uh you know game one most important uh, game of the series uh, i think that's a cliche more often than not but in this case i, I actually do think that the the winner of game one i won't say is 100 percent guaranteed to win the series uh but but i really 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 like their chances if it tilts one way or another, is it more important that the Yankees win game one because it's Cole? Or is yes. it more Okay. <laughs> that, that, yes. <laughs> and and in terms of Cole, if this series goes five, he's never pitched on three days rest, how likely is it that he'll be able to and do so effectively in your mind? You know, Neil, I think that's going to be one of the, the great unanswered questions that won't be answered until uh, there actually is a, is a game five. Uh, there's so much that will depend on that. Uh, how, how many pitches does Cole throw in game one? Uh, how, how good uh, or bad uh, is he in game one? Um, you know, if he, if he has an efficient, you know, a Greg Maddox-like complete game, you know, as uh, the old uh, joke goes, uh, he throws, you know, 85 pitches, something like that, you know, you could be assured that he'll probably come back on short rest. But if he has a grind where he's got to throw 115, 120 pitches over seven innings, something like that, and we know the Rays are, are capable of, uh, you know, uh, grinding a, an opposing pitcher down that way, um, then I think it would probably be unlikely. But that's one of those that uh, you, you'll never get the the Yankees to uh, to give a definitive answer on that be, before the series. That would be one that I, I would say you probably wouldn't even find that out until the game, the day of the, that eventual game five, if there is one. Yes, exactly. But the uniqueness, if there is one, and this and this goes the distance, and obviously two very good clubs, is that there are no days off. 
how does that impact the Yankee bullpen? Because it, at least from afar, it doesn't look like Aaron Boone is confident in more than Chapman, Britton, and Green, and then maybe Loisaga. Yeah, yeah, you're exactly right, and and I think that the you know no days off in the series, uh, and, and you figure. Uh, you know, obviously the, the teams do have starters that they believe can give some distance, but you really do uh, have to think, and just the way baseball the last few years and certainly in 2020 has been, uh, the importance of being able to roll out as many quality bullpen arms as possible. And, and you have to say, uh, you know, going into the regular season, you would have said the Yankees uh, would have the advantage in that regard. Uh, right now, it's hands down the raise because of what you said. Um, you know, Aaron Boone doesn't have uh, full trust in, in as many guys as, as I uh, presume Kevin Cash does uh, in his uh, stable, to use a, a buzzword down there. Um, so I, I think that is going to be very important to see because Adam Ottavino, who you know statistically the last few years there's few, been few relievers better than him, uh, is not right now uh, one of the, the late inning guys that uh, that Boone. Uh, is going to. He went to, as you mentioned, Jonathan Loisica uh, in, in a critical moment uh, the other night in Cleveland instead of Ottavino. And, you know, Boone kind of talked around it, uh, danced around it, if you will, uh, after the game. But the reality is that they signed uh, Ottavino to a big free agent contract to pitch in, in games like that. Uh, and when the, the rubber re- uh, met the road, uh, they went with Jonathan Loisica. The other piece of this regarding if this goes longer is the health of the Yankees. You mentioned how healthy they are. But Judge, you know, can he play five straight games and be effective? Same with guys like Stanton or Torres, who've all been bothered by injuries during the course of the year. It's a great question, Neil. And and one of the things that Aaron Boone talked about the last two weeks of the season when all of those guys came back, and most of them, uh, Gio Rochelle is another one, uh, came back uh, with a little less than two weeks to to go, Boone was very strategic. The Yankees, the organization, was strategic uh, in in giving those guys days off. Um, and and a lot of fans, when the lineup would get posted, would be angry seeing Stanton not playing two days in a row, or Judge not two days in a row, or Torres not two days in a row, or Shella, whatever, uh, getting days off or a DH day. And it was because. Boone said when the playoffs started, uh, he wanted those guys in a position to be able to play, as you just said, you know, once you got to the divisional round, uh, five days in a row and potentially seven days in a row uh, if you get to the ALCS. So um, that is what Boone said at the end of the season, uh, that all of those guys would be in a position to play three, four, five straight days. Uh, But We've heard that before when, when it comes to the Yankees and injuries and, and that somebody is 100% until suddenly they're declared not 100%. So uh, from what all has been said publicly, the intent is for those guys to be able to play the full series. Uh, but I always leave it open just a little bit uh, uh, that possibly not uh, just because of the unpredictability of uh, injuries and recovery. Obviously, decisions don't have to be announced until Monday. What are the final decisions that Aaron Boone and the Yankees have to make, and what will be their toughest decisions for this series? You know, I mean, it'll just basically be, uh, you know, pitching uh, and, and, you know, a bat. You know, they, they, they've got uh, guys like Miguel Andujar that would get considered, and we, we know what he did uh, in a great rookie year a couple of seasons ago. And then, uh, you know, unfortunately for him last year, the, the fluke shoulder injury, uh, and he's sort of been trying to battle his way back in uh, since then. Uh, but but he certainly is a consideration. Mike Ford, uh, a big lefty bat off the bench who, who's been a really good pinch hitter in his uh, brief career. So, you know, I, I think... Those will be guys that right on the periphery of possibly making the roster. 
And then pitching-wise, you know, where do the, the Yankees go? You know, they've got uh, some young prospects that they really like, um, such as Mike King um, and Clark Schmidt, but they see them more as starters, so they kind of weigh, uh, do you want a, a Nick Nelson type or a Brooks Kresge type uh, of a guy that, that's already a reliever and, and is used to that role, or do you bank on the uh, the prospect's arm who's not used to pitching out of the bullpen, but you like their stuff a little bit better? Uh, you know, th- those are the types of things that the, uh, the Yankees are going to be uh, – Wayne, in terms of difficult decision, I, I, I mean, they all, they're going to say that all of them are difficult, but um, I, I don't think any of them are, are keeping the Yankees personnel up, uh, you know, overnight. Like we're if we don't include this player, uh, boy, we're, we're really going to be uh, boxed in. I, I think they're pretty comfortable with those final uh, decisions. They're just going to wait to the last possible minute to give them to us. How much do you think Petco Park plays into this? I mean, Yankee Stadium has been a huge advantage for them. The Rays play at Tropicana Field. This is a bigger ballpark, and they may be playing in the shadows depending on the game times. I, you know, that's a, that's a good question. Uh, the, the guy that has the most experience playing at, uh, at Petco Park is uh, Giancarlo Stanton, at least from the Yankees roster, because he uh, obviously played the first eight years of his career with the uh, the Marlins and actually won his home run derby crown uh, at the All-Star game there in 2015, 16, something like that. Um, so he's got quite a bit of experience there, but um, I'd have to look at the Yankees roster. I, it, it, I think it's one of the reasons that they they flew out. Uh, they're going out on uh, a couple of days earlier, and they're going to work out Saturday and Sunday uh, at Petco Park, probably to, uh, to to try to get used to it a little bit. Good stuff, Eric, and uh, we appreciate some time on the podcast today. My pleasure, Neil. Best of luck, and uh, as always, uh, enjoy speaking with you. Really good stuff from Eric Boland, and glad that he could join us, and also our other guests, Rays pitching coach Kyle Snyder, as well as Kevin Eibach, who heads up pro scouting, and also, of course, Mark Topkin of the Tampa Bay Times. You can continue to follow our blog. Obviously, we recorded this uh, before the Rays made a decision on their roster, made a decision on who was pitching game one of the ALDS. But you can follow our blog, RaysRadio.mlblogs.com, and you can also follow us on Twitter at Rays Radio. You can follow me at Neil Solons. We will have content leading up to game one throughout the ALDS and hopefully plenty of content thereafter. In the meantime, thanks very much for being with us. Enjoy uh, the ALDS coming up, and we'll certainly chat with you soon. 